You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 713 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland coming to you live on a Thursday evening. We are post-trade deadline at this point in time. There was plenty of action in the Hawks world, although most of it was uh, on the previous couple podcasts that we did. The couple of big moves that the Hawks did were not, you know, ones that came in right under the wire of the deadline, but the Hawks were busy on Thursday, and that is why we were coming back with with another uh, sort of post-deadline wrap-up podcast, and hopefully you guys will enjoy it. I will say the previous three episodes were all deadline-related one uh, sort of precursor, then one Click Capella sort of, I guess, emergency podcast, followed by the Dwayne Dedman reaction and some game stuff on Wednesday evening. So go back and listen to those, please, if you have not already done so, and subscribe, download, all that fun stuff. I really appreciate everybody uh, listening. And also we have uh, wall-to-wall deadline coverage over at peacetreehoops.com in written form, so go check that out as well. Um Coming into the Thursday morning, we knew the Hawks had some business to do because they had to wave Nene, and that was the first thing that, that Travis Schlank and company announced on Thursday morning. Um, that was basically a no-brainer in every aspect, and the Hawks would have basically been committing malpractice if they did not uh, wave Nene, just because of the guarantees that would have happened if they were uh, were to keep him on the roster. So that was always going to happen. It was a no-brainer, and uh, it was procedural, but it did happen on Thursday to kick things off. From there, it got a lot busier. A um, couple of moves that the Hawks actually made on Thursday that we want to talk about quickly here. Um, the first one actually was a, a bit of a weird, non-consequential trade. Um, it was that the Hawks acquired Derek Walton Jr. I have a relationship with Derek Walton Jr., having uh, watched him quite a bit at Michigan, um, and he's someone who I, who I enjoy immensely. With that said, uh, the first Woj report that came out about that was not worded particularly well, People were outraged at the time because they read it literally and thought that the Hawks were going to be sending money in exchange for Derek Walton to the Clippers, but that was never going to happen. Uh, The Hawks are receiving about $1.3 million, according to a report from Chris Haynes and John Hollinger separately in cash to facilitate the transaction with Derek Walton Jr. The Hawks had to send something back to Los Angeles to make any deal happen as part of the NBA rule. So it was a basically a fake second round pick, a top 20, sorry, a 2022 top 55 protected second round pick. Um, so again, that's a deal. That's a pick that will only uh, be conveying if the Hawks are one of the best five teams in the league two years from now. And if that happens, then, you know, Godspeed. Um, one of the, that's about as bad of a pick as you possibly can convey. And the Hawks did that actually twice today. So they have to have something going out. And that was what ended up being the case. Still, the Hawks then moved uh, quickly to wave Derek Walton. In fact, when the Hawks announced the deal, they also announced in the same release that they were going to be waving Derek Walton. So it was definitely a procedural move. Um, at the end of the day, there's no real impact here for the Hawks on the court. The one thing that they do uh, actually accomplish here is getting some extra money for Tony Ressler, basically, because what they get in the $1.3 million is considerably more than Walton will earn um, in guaranteed money the rest of the season. So the Hawks make some money there. Also, the Hawks do a favor for the Clippers, who are trying to get out of the, uh, try to sort of dampen down their luxury tax bill considerations as, as well as over a roster spot. So, you know, people were asking me what, what, why the Hawks would do this. Number one, there's no reason why they wouldn't do it. Number two, they made a little bit of money for the owner, which is usually something that GMs like to do whenever possible. Number three, Travis Schlenk is certainly um, not shy about doing favors around the league to try to curry some favor when there's no downside for the Hawks and there really isn't in this spot. So, 
you know, this is a move that didn't really matter much. If you're a um, basketball fan, this doesn't do anything for the Hawks necessarily um, in terms of actual ramifications, but it happened, and that is the explanation for it. The Hawks received money to take Derek Walton and then waive him, and uh, it's sort of one of those weird NBA moves that happened. Last year, the Hawks did uh, a similar one with Jabari Bird, um, so that, that happened. It's, it's just one of those things that happened around the deadline, so no worries there. Um, the other move that the Hawks actually did that you know does make some sort of impact, and we'll talk about that in a second, but I wanted to go to a quick break here. It'll be a little bit shorter podcast, so I want to go ahead and do that now. So hold on tight. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. All right, and we're back to talk about what happened uh, the rest of the day on Thursday and look ahead a little bit to the future. Um, the other move that the Hawks made was a move that actually will have a roster ramification, and that is that Scalabissier will be coming to Atlanta. In fact, that's already happened. It's already been announced by the Hawks um, as of Thursday afternoon and evening. Uh, Labissier, you might remember if you are a someone who follows the draft and recruiting stuff, he was a former massive like top three kind of high school prospect nationally before he went to Kentucky, was a first-round pick a couple of years ago, has not necessarily lived up to that necessarily. Uh, he's 23 years old. He'll be 24 in March, coming from Portland. This is uh, sort of the same setup as the Derek Walton move for the Hawks, except for the fact that they're going to be keeping Labissier on the roster. It's a tax-saving move for the Blazers. They're going to go ahead and knock off a few million dollars in the bill for ownership that they have to pay there, but they're sending $1.9 million to the Hawks. That's a lot of money when it comes to just that raw kind of, you know, tax saving um, maneuver, like sh- shuffling the decks kind of financial move. Um, that is a lot more, again, and raw and raw money than, than uh, LeBessier will actually earn this season. So, number one, to do the same exercise as we did before with Walton, the Hawks will be getting extra money here. Tony Ressler pats his pockets a little bit with this move. With that said, um, Lemissier is still making $2.3 million this year in terms of his pro-rated salary to be a lot less than that, but that's his cap number for this season. Um, the Hawks will be sending, again, a fake second-round pick, a top 55 protected pick, and 24. Um, so there you go. Um, but, as I said before, Walton was waived. Lemissier will not be waived. Um, and by the way, procedurally, the Hawks had to wait to do the Dwayne Dedman trade because they had to execute some stuff beforehand. Um, short version is that they could not have done the Lemissier deal if they had already done the Debbin deal, because they had to have cap space to take on Scal in the way that they actually were able to do so in this way. So Debbin actually, as I'm recording this, is about 8 o'clock, has not been announced yet. That's the one deal that has not been made official. I'm sure it's going to be coming in the uh, coming hours, but it's just one of those things. And they had to do and they had to do Lemissier first. Regardless, though, um, once it actually, and by the way, that's, that's good management. That's just kind of what you have, what you have, what you have to do there is just sort of order the transactions in a proper way, and the Hawks did that in this spot. Um, as for the player, Labissier is coming on a on an expiring contract. He'll be he'll be a potential restricted free agent after this season, um, but the Hawks have him are getting him for cheap at this point in time. Uh, he is probably a center in the modern game. The Hawks have too many of those, quite obviously, I think, um, when you factor in the fact that they just got Deadman and Capella in addition to Bruno Fernando and Damian Jones. They now have five, what I would say, five centers um, plus John Collins, and John Collins is, of course, someone who can play center, so they have about you know five and a half centers at this point in time. With that said, um, Scal isn't a pure five necessarily. I think he's a. I do think he's a five. People are pushing back on that when I tweeted about it a little bit on Thursday afternoon. He has played some power forward in his career. This season in Portland, he was playing 92% of his minutes per basketball reference at center. I think you know it's possible that he, that he plays some four. Same with Bruno Fernando. People were asking about Bruno playing the four as well. The Hawks are of course more shallow at the four than they are at the five. But I think people are, people are sort of forgetting that the Hawks do have Vince Carter and they do have DeAndre Hunter, who's been who's going to be playing some. Minutes at the four, almost certainly. So, 
I think they obviously have a log jam at the five right now, but Damian Jones and I think Scal as well, truthfully, are not necessarily going to be long for this roster. Scal is interesting, though, in some respects. I think um, he's obviously has a, a lot of talent, or he would not have been the prospect that he was coming out of high school. He does have some sort of feel questions. He doesn't always know where to be, frankly, um, in his limited time. He was been a, he was, it was a little bit better in Portland. He, he, again, he has some skills. His jump shot's not too bad. Um, he's someone who is a good cutter at this point in time. Um, you know, potentially a three point at least cor- at least a corner three point shooter that is functional for the Hawks can block some shots, et cetera, et cetera. So there's some talent there to work with. I think you know. Whether he can play and help you right now is up for debate, but you know, as I'm as I've talked about a little bit on yesterday's podcast, even the Hawks are going to have some flexibility moving forward. Um, and it's one of those things where instead of taking a ten day, a, a bunch of ten day contracts to kind of get a longer look at Scal, who probably is more talented than most guys, they're going to be able to get a look at at this point in time. So it may not work out. I would keep my expectations pretty low if I was a Hawks fan about Scal, but he is a talented player, and you know, it's one of those things where you could see what he has in the. Um, in the in the event that something uh, is needed, honestly, because right now the Hawks, C- Capella is hurt, of course. Bruno Fernando is listed as doubtful for the game on Friday, so there might be some minutes to kick, to kick around in the near future, and uh, a little bit of depth there can't really hurt you, even if the Hawks do have uh, sort of on the way on the on the way the roster breaks down does not look fantastic at this point because they just have too many centers and too many point guards. But alas, okay. Um, Scal is now around for the rest of the season, probably. We will see. Um, and with that, with all the business done for the Hawks now, they have one roster spot available. They, they had two at various points, but then electing to keep Scal. Now they have one available. People were asking this question quite a bit on Thursday. I do think that Brandon Goodwin getting a full-time contract is probably the most likely thing to happen. That's not a guarantee by any means. I think he's a pretty logical add. Um, at this point in time, the Hawks still have um, some two-way days on his clock. But eventually, because Goodwin's been basically with the big league club for a month plus now, he's going to have to either go back to the G League when he runs out of time or the Hawks are going to have to give him the contract. So we'll see what happens there. Goodwin's been playing enough where I'm expecting him, honestly. If it comes down to it, the Hawks are probably going to want to keep him on the roster. But if that doesn't happen... The Hawks could cycle through 10-day contracts that could sign a rest-of-season deal. We've seen the last couple of years that, you know, your Antonio's Cleveland's, your Damian Lee's, Jalen Morris types that the Hawks have taken flyers on in recent years, and we'll see if they do that again here. Paul Watson earlier this year, by the way, was another one of those who signed a 10-day contract. Um, but it could be Goodwin, and we'll see We'll see how they handle that in the future. Also, if the Hawks wanted to create another spot if they needed to do that once they sign Goodwin or something like that. Um, it would not be difficult to move on from Graham, Trayvon Graham, or Damian Jones, or even Scal if they wanted to do that. I think any of those would be reasonable. But for now, one roster spot available, and it could be marked for Brandon Goodwin. We will see what happens in the future. Um, and wrapping up the deadline a little bit here, I know we're going a little bit shorter on this podcast because there was just so much that happened the previous two days and nothing earth-shattering on Thursday. But um, in totality, this is what the Hawks did over the last three days or so. Um, they added Clint Capella, Dwayne Dedman, Scalabissier, two second-round picks, um, neither of which are great, but still picks that are um, going to be coming, and then a bunch of cash in Tony Russell's pocket, which shouldn't matter, but it does to him, I'm sure. <laughs> um, and going out, they gave up the Brooklyn pick, which was the best uh, asset by far that they sent out uh, at, at this deadline. They gave up a 2024 second-round pick to the Warriors, Alex Lynn, Jabari Parker, Evan Turner, and Chandler Parsons. So I think just evaluating that sort of in and out, uh, I think the Hawks did pretty well in this uh, at, the, at this deadline. We talked about the Capella deal extensively on that emergency podcast and the Deadman deal extensively on yesterday's podcast. I'm not going to really get that stuff now. I'll go back and listen to that if you'd like to get more information on those two deals as well as the fact that I wrote about them both. But, um, you know, Capella's a good player. 
Uh, Dwayne Dedman should be able to help you. You got a couple, couple second round picks and no long term damage on the salary cap. Um, only giving up about seven million dollars in space and for next year, and they had plenty. In fact, the Hawks still have the most cap space in the entire league by quite some time, uh, by quite some margin, I should say. Dwayne, uh, Jeff Siegel of Early Bird writes projects the Hawks at $49 million in cap space. That's considerable when it comes to having a roster that already has a bunch of pieces on it for next year. Um, we'll keep track of that moving forward, but that's uh, something to keep in mind is the Hawks have more space than anyone, and that did not change with this with this deadline. Um, as a final catch-up here as well, here is the current roster. I'm going to read off to you quickly about the, what, what the Hawks actually have available after the dust is settled here. It is at point guard. You have Trey Young, Jeff Teague, and Brandon Goodwin. No surprise there. Goodwin's still on a two-way contract. On the wing, you have the big three with Herter, Reddish, and Hunter, and then after that you have Bianri Bembry still on the team, Travion Graham, and then Charlie Brown on a two-way contract. Um, at the four spot, you have John Collins, of course, and Vince Carter, and then you have, I guess, the chance to see uh, someone like Scal or Bruno Fernando at that spot occasionally, I would imagine, in the coming days. That's, that would not be a huge shock to me, although both guys, I think, are primary centers. And then at center... You have Capella, you have Deadman, you have Bruno, you have Scal, and then you have Damian Jones. So, and then by the way, some, some John Collins as well. So I think again, you have, you have five and a half centers and probably only two, maybe two and a half power forwards. Very pretty interesting in some ways, but um, I do think that obviously it's not perfect roster balance at this point in time. The team is certainly better though, and I think very strongly better than it was on Monday. The only asset you gave up that was actually a, sort of a real asset in that and in a future facing context was that Brooklyn pick. I think Capella and even Deadman help you enough to where that's definitely justifiable to give up that pick, etc. People have been asking about the playoffs in the last day or so. I did a couple of radio hits on Thursday, both of which asked me about a playoff pursuit this year for the Hawks. I will say that is not likely. <laughs> um, I did say multiple times I think the Hawks could go about 500 the rest of the way. That would be up to 29 or 30 wins on the season if they were able to do that. That's not a given by any means because the Hawks are 14 and 38 right now and to go fi- and to go 500 the rest of the season, they have to go 15 and 15. That would be a, a large departure from where they have been so far. I will say this, the Hawks have the easiest remaining schedule st- schedule strength in the entire NBA. And we talked about February a lot. The schedule is very kind the rest of the way in February for the Hawks and into March. So we'll talk about um, you know, how that all shakes out in the future. But with the Hawks, especially if Capella is playing or if Deadman re- refines himself, et cetera, et cetera, the Hawks will get some wins here. But I think playoffs are not necessarily in the cards next year. Certainly, we'll talk about that as we get going into the offseason, but for now, I would uh, keep expectations kind of low, even if I think the Hawks are going to win some more games as the season continues. Um, I would say the most personal you know, thing for me in, in saying this is that you want positive momentum when it comes to next season. Um, I think you want some encouraging evaluations. You want to see stuff that is working on the court. You know, the end of last year, the end of last year had some upward trajectory for the Hawks, and that inspired some confidence moving into the offseason. That should be the case again this time around, leaning on guys like Hunter and Reddish and Herter and, and of course, Trey Young and John Collins to be good down the stretch, and then you sort of want to integrate your pieces together. Um, there is some po- there is some room for positive momentum and trajectory down the stretch here, and that's more important than actual wins and losses at this stage of this particular season. Okay, looking ahead a little bit, uh, non-deadline stuff before we get out of here on this fine Thursday evening. Um, the All-Star Draft just happened, and Trey Young will be playing on Team Giannis in the All-Star game, alongside with Pascal Siakam, Joel Embiid, Kemba Walker, Chris Middleton, Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, Rudy Gobert, Kyle Lowry, Brandon Ingram, and Donovan Mitchell. Um, you know, that's one of the things that happened. Trey was a starter, and he'll be starting in the game, and we'll talk about that more when it happens. As for a Friday's Friday night's game, the Hawks are in Boston. A tough task ahead against the Celtics. Um, the Hawks have a, 
as has been tradition the last couple of weeks. The Hawks have a pretty full injury report in this game. Um, a couple guys that are probable, both Kevin Herter and Trey Young, as well as Jeff Teague, are all probable with injury stuff. So it seems like they're probably all going to play, but we'll keep an eye on that. DeAndre Hunter is questionable after um, not a great game on Wednesday, and of course battling that in- the ankle injury. That's something to circle. If he doesn't play, that could that could hurt the Hawks in terms of. Uh, actual uh, you know depth in this game also Bruno Fernando is still doubtful um, with the calf injury that he suffered and then I, I, I guess aggravated it at some point on Wednesday night and then Cam Reddish is still doubtful with the concussion he went from out to doubtful so that's a little bit of a step forward for Cam but there you go on that and then uh, finally here Clay Capella is not going to play, obviously. I think Lloyd Pierce said that he wasn't even going to be traveling to Boston. Deadman, same thing. Um, even if Deadman was available, uh, was healthy and ready to go, which he, I guess he would be, um, I guess in theory, the Hawks still haven't even uh, announced that contract and that trade at this point in time. So, you know, it's it's less than 24 hours till tip-off in Boston. I'd be pretty surprised if Deadman were to suit up and play in that game. Sunday, the Hawks are back at home, and we could see Deadman in uniform by then. We'll, we'll keep an eye on that for now. But I'm expecting the Hawks to be pretty shorthanded again in Boston. Um, I guess in, uh, you might remember earlier in the week, there was some injury stuff when the Celtics played in Atlanta on Monday. And that's going to happen again here. In fact, Jalen Brown is questionable. Gordon Hayward is questionable. Kemba Walker, Kemba Walker is questionable. Daniel Tice is out. So it'll be a battle of the walking wounded in Boston on Friday night. And we'll talk about that more after the game is over. But the Hawks will be entering as underdogs almost certainly on the road in that spot. But uh, a lot of fluidity when it comes to who's playing and who's not that will decide uh, at least at least in part, how that game is going to play out on Friday. So it's been a busy week. I'm sure I'm uh, borderline coherent at this point in time, but <laughs> thank you for listening to the podcast as always. Again, I think this is a pretty good week for the Hawks. It's uh, it's not an absolute grand slam, but it's certainly one that I think was a successful week for Travis Schlenk. The, the team got better both for now and in the future, and that should certainly inspire Hawks fans as they look ahead to the rest of the season and into what is going to be a big-time summer for the Hawks. Subscribe to the podcast. Please tell a friend about the show. And uh, if nothing else, we'll be back again on Friday night with, uh, more, with more talk about the Hawks after the game in Boston.